Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. everybody it's helping friendly podcast this is episode 173 i'm here with matt we are in our 173rd day of being in our houses probably right matt oh sorry i had to take my mask off uh (laughs) hey there rj just wanted to say hi from my house to yours hey um we hope everyone's doing well out there we just wrapped up an hf pod live video chat about magna ball with our friend cj um, and we're trying to do those every Monday at 8.30 Eastern at youtube.com slash Osiris Media. We talked about Magna Ball because that's the next dinner and movie show, which is tomorrow. Um, Matt, how are you enjoying the YouTube chats for someone who I think l- likes being behind the mic more than <laughs> in front of the camera? 
Um, it's fun. I mean, like we've uh, we've had some cool audience interaction. Um, a couple of fun guests. Uh, Jesse Lauder last week was really cool to talk to, and then CJ this week had some awesome opinions and memories about uh, Magnaball. So it's um, it's fun. I think like this live streaming thing and people connecting to each other through video is kind of like part of the new normal, right? Um, so it feels comfortable. I think that a lot of people have kind of let down their guard with with this kind of stuff, and you don't feel the need to be like dressed up in a you know sophisticated broadcast studio and stuff like that it's it's all good if you're in your basement in a t-shirt yeah you at least have to be dressed but that's that's all which is cool so we're we're um they've they've lowered the bar to us so that's cool and here we are and we now we can be video broadcasters i I had to laugh like all these people hearing all the stories about like podcast studios that are suddenly like oh you know like our people need to learn how to work from home and mix on their laptops and like you know you see like all the late night shows trying to you know scrap together like some sort of home show and snl did that big thing the other night where like everybody just like filmed themselves with their iphones and stuff and they're all like wow this is crazy and we're like man this is the way we've been doing it for years (laughs) just getting scrappy right Right. Well, it is. It's interesting. We won't go into it here, but there, there is like it does feel like for Osiris and for all the podcasts we're creating, we're we're like sort of made for this. You know what I mean? Because of that, and because we're able to be sort of like we can make changes. But it is interesting to think about that. There's like people who would go in, like you'd probably like to do that to go into some office that's uh, outfitted with every single piece of equipment you could ever want. Absolutely. Yes. So if and when those places reopen, if somebody wants to give me a job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look this up. All right. Um, So Matt, before we get into the show, we have to talk about our new sponsor, Harry's. Um, Right now, we have to get everything delivered. I just got groceries delivered an hour ago. And (laughs) I don't think we've gotten groceries delivered in years, but now everything's delivered. And um, I have a bunch of Harry's razors. I've been subscribing to Harry's for a long time. what about you? Are, are you a Harry's fan? I am, and um, I agree with you on getting stuff at home because I'm having to go to the grocery store a pretty good uh, amount myself just because getting, like, Peapot or Amazon Fresh delivery slots is just, like, kind of impossible. Um but I actually, I've been a Harry's user for about six months ago, um, bought some of their stuff uh, to replace like an old cheap uh, razor that I've been using for years. I really, really like it and um, actually uh, got my wife turned on to uh, using Harry's now too with some of the stuff that I had laying around. So um, uh, she has no complaints. So it's, it's not just for the guys, the, the razors work well all around. Yeah, yeah, we're we're a two um, Harry's subscri- subscriber household as well. I think that's the official term. So um, for our listeners, you can join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your special trial offer. Go to harrys.com slash hfpod. Um, you can get quality, durable razors at a fair price. Um, they cut out the middleman, so you just get these awesome razors straight to you. And the refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. There's a hundred percent quality guarantee. So if you don't like what you see, um, I, I shave actually. And, and so I can tell, you know, that it works. Um, but, but if I didn't shave, it would, it would be worse. So I have to shave. Um, anyway, 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofits devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. So anyway, Harry's is cool. And for you all, listening to the show you can go to harrys.com slash hfpod to get a weighted ergonomic handle five blade razor 
rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Not that you're going anywhere right now, but eventually you will. So you want that. So go to harrys.com slash HFpod to start shaving better today. Matt, I think you should start shaving better soon. I will shave again eventually, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Matt, before we get into the show, there's um, we we were able to today. So, I guess when this comes out, it'll be a couple days later. Um, we got to announce a, a brand new podcast that you've been listening to a lot because you've been helping make it, which is pretty cool. The Eric Eric Krasnoplus one. Yes, this is awesome. Um, I've been a huge fan of Eric Krasno's for as long as I can remember, probably going back to the late 90s and some of the first Soul Live uh, stuff that I heard and um, have seen Eric play in all sorts of places with all types of people. And um, it's amazing because like a lot of times we have these conversations with artists uh, about starting a podcast and they are really excited and we they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got tons of people I can talk to. And then you start a start to get into the nuts and bolts of what it takes to produce a podcast and they kind of get cold feet and we have to sort of shepherd them along. Um, but Eric, uh, we knew that he knew a lot of people in the industry and this email thread that we had going, he was like, okay, I'm in, I'm going to start doing interviews. And then the next email was like, oh yeah, I've interviewed uh, Dave Matthews and Derek trucks and I'm talking to Questlove next week and John Mayer and all that. And we're like, Wow. So, um, that was shy. I mean, there's some amazing stuff coming up and, um, being the guy that is working on this, uh, putting it all together, I've had the luxury of getting to kind of pre-listen to what everybody's going to hear some of the interviews and there's some amazing stuff that's going to come out. Um, I'm particularly excited, uh, on the first day that this comes out, uh, April 20th, we're going to have, um, two episodes, one with Dave Matthews, but the other one, which is going to be really, really awesome. I think you guys are going to dig it is with Laura Lee from Krungbin, um, who we know is, uh, buddies with Trey now and and uh, has been seen at a bunch of fish shows um, recently. So, um, and she's a badass in her own right. So, uh, it's uh, it's just pretty good. I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Yeah. So we'll we'll put a link in the show notes. Check out the trailer. Subscribe now if you haven't if you haven't already. We'd appreciate it, uh, Matt. For for those people who don't know much about Eric Kresno, like what what's he known for in the music world? Because I think he's of course a guitarist, producer. Like he's he's kind of done everything. But what's like what's he mean to you in terms of his playing or or his, whatever he does? He's um yeah. I mean he's he kind of continues the thread of great jazz guitarists in the vein of like a John Schofield or Grant Green guys that uh play very very you know jazz influenced stuff but it's it's very funky and very soulful um so he's has you know from soul live and lettuce and some of the bands that he's played with he's got that angle but then as you mentioned he's also done a lot of production work uh, even get kind of getting into the r&b and hip-hop world um i think i believe he's worked with 50 cent and um some other artists like that he's a grammy award-winning producer uh, i believe multiple times um and a lot of that is kind of you know how he has all these connections in the world he's just beyond his guitar playing he's worked with so many people as a producer mixer um so it's it's great to have somebody like that that understands a lot of different aspects of the music to be able to talk to uh to these other artists yeah and that's awesome and thanks for talking about that and and the fact that he was able to just like interview everyone he knows and and he's going to keep doing it we're really excited about it and and thanks matt for for doing all the work on it um we hope everyone will subscribe to that i did i wanted to just give one more shout out to an osiris pod 36 from the vault which 
is about the Grateful Dead, but listening to Rob and Steve talk about the island tour this past week, it just reminded me that these guys are like, I mean, they've both been guests on this podcast. So of course, you know, we have good tastes in our, in our fish discussion people, but like, you know, listening to them talk about music, it's really enlightening for me. And I don't know if you listened to that episode, but just talking about like where fish was in the mid nineties versus the dead, they just both have such a body of knowledge in terms of popular music that it's, it's pretty cool. And I think like additive and they, they took this one episode detour to the Island tour. Yeah. And I, I haven't listened to that one yet. It's on my list. Um, but I've listened to, and, uh, helped out with most of the episodes of 36 from the vault. And I've said it before, Steve and Rob are two of my favorite music writers. Um, uh, and I, I like that you have, you know, as opposed to something like this, where we're very obviously like super fish fans who are knowledgeable about a lot of other music, they're incredibly, wide net music knowledgeable people who happen to like fish um, and sort of talk about it as a crossover. So they, a lot of times they don't lead, um, I guess, same thing with the Grateful Dead, right? Since we're talking about the the Grateful Dead most of the time, like they don't lead with like these super fan opinions. They sort of come at it from the industry perspective of like, okay, let's be a little bit critical. Let's put some context around it um, and and talk about, you know, how, how and when uh, these things were happening in, in music history. Yeah, and and so I just wanted to give them a quick plug. Check out their island tour episode, um, which which we can link to. They they are going through the dicks picks one by one, but but took a, a one episode diversion for this. And I will say, uh, Steve uh, earlier this week or last week wrote a really cool tribute to John Prine as well. His his writing is is really great. Um, okay, so a few fish things. Um, since we last talked, I think there was our Sigma Oasis discussion and we'll address the album on a future episode. I don't think that we've talked about the episode on this podcast, but what's your one sentence summary of Sigma Oasis, Matt? Still listening to it. Yeah. It's all, it's awesome. I, <laughs> yeah. I think my opinion holds up. It's a really, really great album. Um, uh, I'll share with you the one thing that I shared on that, uh, that webcast that I thought that we did last week, um, that I think you guys seem to agree with. And, um, I was particularly happy to hear, uh, Jesse agree with, because he is, you know, a producer and works with a lot of different artists. But, um, I think if you take the song leaves and you take about two minutes out of it in the instrumental sections and you put it out as a radio edit, I think it could be kind of a little bit of a hit song for them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you look at like radio stations, non-commercial radio stations, WXPN, KEXP, those types of places, NPR, uh, t- you know, tangential stations, um, that still play really good non-commercial music. Um, I think it could be in kind of heavy rotation on some of those stations and maybe even it picks up a Grammy nomination for mm. best alt rock performance or something like that. I mean, it's such a well-written song. Uh, the production on it is incredible and it really like, it sounds like a lot of things that you would hear from, you know, indie rock bands that are big, whether it's, uh, you know, Wilco or the national or Radiohead or something like that. That's got this huge swell and emotional component to it. Um, so that's the one that I, I kind of keep going back to on the new album. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, you know, Trey's obviously been influenced by that music a lot, but, but we haven't probably see it, seen it as much, um, in terms of songwriting at least. So that, that's a good call. Yeah. It's still on, still in rotation here. I can't, and stop listening to it. So that's our summary. Um, Trey cannot stop writing songs um, every day on the internet. He's got a new song <laughs> or a new performance of a song. 
It's like you get a gen- some kind of genius musician cooped up for a couple months and like <laughs> just sort of like test test kitchen to see what happens. You know, he's gonna keep he's gonna keep doing it. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, um, you know, I like what he shared about. Uh, it being kind of a new kind of addiction, but a healthy one for for him, and seems like it's a, it's a definite outlet for being cooped up. Um, you know, you and I are lucky right now in that we're both in places where like we can probably get outside once a day if the weather's nice and take a walk or get some fresh air yeah. or something like that. And I think for people that are living in New York, uh, it's a lot more difficult. I mean, people are having to stay in their apartment isolated for long stretches, and that's that's got to be terrifying. And it's great that he's channeling any of his feelings into, uh, you know, amazing creative output. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine that. Like I just walk outside here and yeah, that's pretty easy, but in New York, it's not as easy. So Trey, keep, keep, keep bringing us songs. Um, all right. So in this episode, we're going to talk about one show specifically, July 23rd, 1996. Enthusiasm is incredibly high for this one. Matt's, I think Matt in the Slack channel said, that should be fine. So, you know, <laughs> can't, can't get much better than that. But I thought this tour was kind of interesting because this summer 96, especially before they come, I mean, the U.S. were part two, but this Europe part, it's sort of just overlooked. There's just like, it's sort of an odd a month or, or two. Um, so I, I thought it might be fun to go back and, and revisit. Yeah, the tour is, it's an oddity in that it's, it's a, it's more like the, the 92 Europe tour than it is about like the 97 and 98 Europe tours, which are a little bit more famous in that it's like the reason why they were over there was to open for Santana. Um, and so they're, you know, playing big shows with Santana they're playing festivals with Santana. And then in between, they're kind of playing some club dates just to kind of fill out their schedule as opposed to like 97 and 98, where they were specifically there by themselves playing small places to woodshed a new sound. And, you know, yeah. we've, we've talked at length about 97 in particular, about how they basically reinvented the, the sound of the band over the course of two trips that year. But 96, they're just sort of playing fish shows um and you know i mean they're they're fine but there's not like a, a major storyline that goes through the tour yeah and that that might be one of the reasons why it's sort of lost to to fish history in a way and i remember collecting these tapes because of course coming off of fall 95 right like you're that's when i first saw them that's when i'm like collecting tapes like crazy it's like what are they going to do next you know and then they sort of go to Europe and kind of go off the map for a little bit. And it's sort of interesting. I mean, the storyline of 96, of course, is like, it's all sort of forgettable until Halloween. And then, you know, that that's when things pick up and lead to 97 and beyond. But there, there's some, there's some really good stuff in here. And I do wonder, like, I, well, I guess there's a few things we want to discuss before we hop into this show. I mean, the first thing, what you were saying, Matt, about it being more like 92, like, so... They would play like a one set opening show for Santana and then like the next day play a two set headlining show. Maybe not the next day, but a couple of days later, like alternating between like, is that two different mindsets if you're an artist or do you think at that point they would pretty easily be able to kind of transition from one to the other? Um, I mean, I, I would think that they would probably be able to transition from one to another. It's definitely two different mindsets. Um, they're, you know, they've got to fit 
whatever, however they want to present the band uh, in front of Santana's audience in down into like 45 minutes or whatever they would do, as opposed to having the freedom to do whatever they want. Um, I don't know because I wasn't there. I don't know what the um, sort of crowd makeup was, you know, at the, at these shows that were non Santana shows, it sounds like it's majority kind of hardcore fish fans, like people that had traveled over to Europe to, to specifically to see them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I guess that's kind of the main difference is like, you know, let's get in there let's wow some people, show them a little bit about what we're about versus like, okay, well, we've got our audience and we can just kind of play, you know, whatever we want to play. Yeah. And I, you know, we were just talking about Magnaball on the video chat with CJ and 2015, we were talking about just like this, the new material fueling them, you know, which you can go back to any, that's why I love like the spring of 93 so much. There was like so much new music. Um, and, and I, maybe that's part of this, like 96 didn't actually have a lot of debuts. I think waste and character zero debuted, um, maybe some others, but a lot of those songs had already been released before. And like, there's not a lot of debuts in this tour either. And they were sort of like going through the same material. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Especially because Billy breathes came out a couple months later. Right. So yeah. you'd think in an album, we usually talk about the album release years, like 2016 would be a really good example where like, or 94 even, right. Where they like push the new album a lot more than they normally would. And, and in some cases that has like slightly detrimental effects. Um, but you're right, right here. Like the album came out later in the year. It came out in the fall. They had, they, they had played most of the material in 95. They're sort of just kind of coasting. So I think going along with what the storyline, like you said, it usually is about 96 like it's not quite 95 it's not yet 97 it doesn't have the high points of either it's just kind of fine until you get to to halloween and this shows probably a really good showcase for for that yeah so i think there's like a lot of gems in this show particularly but um musically do you think like uh, we can't obviously you know hypothesize about this but but we might as well because we have a fish podcast i mean do you think that as a band they were kind of like feeling like they were thriving or do you think maybe they felt like they were hitting a little bit of a road like a bump between uh the 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 highs of 95 and then like sort of this kind of weird europe thing musically i don't know i would be surprised if they felt like they were hitting a lull because think about the other thing is that they're just a couple of weeks away from the clifford ball um and they have to have they have to by this point have known you know they've sold a lot of tickets there's a lot of anticipation they're doing they're going to do this event that is going to sort of top a lot of things that they've ever done um so i don't know maybe they were distracted maybe they were just thinking too much about that or maybe they were just kind of saving it for the u.s leg that was going to start in a week or two that's a good point yeah and clifford ball sort of to me is um i love those videos and i love those shows um musically it, it does like, kind of fall into the 96 sort of bucket you know where there's like some good jams it's like mostly type one there's not a ton of really really out there stuff um which is sort of interesting because 95 like we've talked before about summer 95 which jonathan is a particular fan of and fall 95 which i'm i'm a little bit more you know, amenable toward, but like there are these 95, they're these like 35 minute jams, you know, um, exploring these different songs. And then in 96, you don't really see that. So I don't know. This is like, this year is always fascinating, but maybe it's just that bands have, you know, maybe it's not as fascinating as it is to me in my, in my mind. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, they're not going at... The, the way that I would describe this show is unremarkable, right? It's not that it's bad. It's not that it's, like, lacking in anything. It's really, it's literally just unremarkable. And to back that up, if you go to the fish.net set list for the show, there's not a single show note. Like, there is nothing to remark about on this show. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, yeah. they played these songs. Um, there's No, there's little... Th- Things that popped up here and there, yeah. throughout yeah. like little tiny little snippets of 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 interesting things, but nothing where you can look at it and say, "Oh yeah, this was the night of the whatever." Right. And like like any podcast can take you to the great went and and play you the went gin, but only this podcast will take you to uncover the gems of seven twenty three ninety six. Never miss a Tuesday show in Hamburg. That's what they say, <laughs> and. We're gonna we're gonna follow this. So okay, so they they go between these opening sets and then headlining sets. So you you think that was like a fill out the schedule sort of thing? Like you get you get the dates you can, and if you can play a, a regular headlining show, you do it. Um, I don't know if bands do that a lot. I'm not really sure, but it, it's logical. Yeah, there's there's bands that do that. Not you know whether it's in Europe or even in the U.S. Up and coming bands, they get onto a big tour. They're the opening act. But you know, let's say you're opening for like the Rolling Stones, right? The Rolling Stones only play once every. Th- three or four days at most right now. So like maybe like in between you're like, okay, well I'm playing with the stones in New York. And then four days later I'm playing with them in, you know, Pittsburgh. So in the middle, let's play like Boston, Philly and DC. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, you can play your own shows, grow your audience, um, help make more money to support yourself on the tour. You know, in this case, they're going over to Europe. There's a ton of cost to bring people and gear over there. So that could also be part of it. It's like a necessary thing to, um, to make it worth your while to, to go all the way over there. And I, I assume they were like being treated pretty well as opening for Santana. The guys just as an opening band, they probably had a pretty good setup. I'm sure, I mean, especially because Carlos has, you know, professed his love for them so much. Yeah, 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 the hose. Um, so it's interesting what you said about Clifford Ball because that kind of helps me see this in a com- almost completely different light. You know what I mean? Like they, they and the, from our After Midnight series, which is sort of amazing to think about now that, you know, Clifford Ball was like a, that was a life-changing moment for them, so... They may, and to know how Trey, especially in those days, I think got involved in the details and got like involved in sort of like every point of what they were doing. They could have just been like, yeah, we're just, we're just really looking forward to getting back to this, you know? Or, or nerves, you know, we're yeah. going to, we're, we're playing these shows and we're going to go back to the U S and play in front of 60,000 people. This is going to be, this is going to be wild, which is wild. Yeah. yeah. something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private environment. It's so convenient. You can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. Licensed professional counselors are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There's 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states. It's available worldwide. And you can communicate with them via text, chat, phone, or video. BetterHelp is secure, 
convenient, professional, and affordable. And best of all, it's even more affordable. Helping Friendly Podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code HFPOD. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash HFPOD, fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs, and you can get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash HFPOD. It's 2020, so it's time to leave some things behind from last year. What I'd like to leave behind is cleaning up my kid's guinea pig cage. But one thing I don't need to worry about is my wireless bill. My network coverage is better than ever because I switched to Mint Mobile. They can cut down your bill to 15 bucks a month for the same premium coverage you get with your existing carrier. I know what you're thinking, this is too good to be true, but they know what they're doing. Mint Mobile reimagined how you buy wireless and made it all online, passing the savings directly to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text, plus 4G LTE. You can use your phone, keep your same phone number along with all your contacts, and if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash hfpod. That's mintmobile.com slash hfpod. Cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hfpod. Thanks, Mint Mobile. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. So 723.96, this venue, Mark Tal, I think that's about right? Uh, that's as good a German accent as I can do. Thank you. Um, so it's a hundred, it's, sorry, it's a thousand seat convention center built in 1913. This is from Brad, I think, but the website says since 1977. So 625 capacity with seats. So that's a small place. Of course, the following year, Fish comes back to here um, in March, which would be Come one of the, uh, the the cornerstone for, and one of the most epic sort of live releases, Slip Stitch and Pass. So they they felt comfortable at this venue, and this was the first time they played this this show that we're talking about. So Matt, do you want to run through this set a little bit? Um, the the two sets start with set one. Like I, I have some thoughts. I actually, and I do I do want to say before we get into this that like this was what HF Pod was created for was like going to these shows and just digging in and trying to like, you know, find what we could find and encouraging people to listen to a little, a little fish that they might not otherwise come across. So I feel very like close to our roots right now, which is fun. Um, what, what was your takeaway, like going back to this show, Matt? I mean, you said unremarkable, but did, did you find some gems in the first set or did you have any moments during the first set that you appreciated? Yeah, I mean, the, the ACDC, ACDC bag at the end um, is kind of stretches out a little bit, takes its time to peak. It's not just a straightforward version. Mm-hmm. 
theme was actually very good, uh, but this is, I think, still in the era of very, very strong theme from the bottoms when pretty much all of them were good. Um, the flow is interesting. It's very, like, in these shows that are, like, don't necessarily, to me, like, stand out that much, there's sort of lacking flow. Like, there's not, like, a narrative that you can tell through the set. And this kind of feels like that. It's very hodgepodgey. Um, Scent of a Mule, then Disease, then McGrupp. Um, the Disease was... I stood out to me um, only because something happened there that I heard a handful of times throughout the show, which was that Trey just like laid back at a very odd place, which was in this case, the beginning of the jam where he's usually doing rock guitar, God heroics, his like signature down with disease lick. He immediately backs off and page is actually soloing at the beginning of the jam. And I don't know if that was like some intentional thing to like create some more space that he was playing around with or whatever, but that happens a handful of other times. So it gives it a weird feel to the jam because, like where you're expecting anthemic rock you're getting like page piano driven uh, jamming that too I, it, it reminded me of a lot of fall 96 like you know kind of like groove oriented stuff but without the mini kit or, or before the before the mini kit came in it was sort of like these songs would just kind of like drop into this like jam yeah like a, a full band jam you know and, which, and it i don't know for sure it sounds to me like he has the mini kit at this show which and if you yeah. if he brought it to europe would make sense because they had it in 95 he had it in 96 but um the, but hey, he hadn't got into that full, like, sort of like, you know what I mean? You know that Stopping song, playing for, yeah, exactly, ex- exactly. You just like, you drop right into it. But, yeah. but he did finish Down With Disease, which is a, a huge accomplishment. They did, and it's got because, a nice, it's got a nice little jam in it. Um, yeah. And then it goes into McGrupp. McGrupp was, was pretty good. Um, there's a nice little jam, but once again, it's a page-led thing in the middle. It's, Trey's just sort of nowhere to be found at that point. So it's interesting because as I was 
listening to this and reading about, you know, hundreds of people fitting in here, it does seem like, I mean, maybe there was a, uh, the McGrupp and the, the acapella, Hello, My Baby, like those are both perfect for a small theater, right? So the fact that we don't have like excellent recordings of this, like maybe it sounded incredible in there when they were playing the quiet parts of McGrupp, you know? Yeah. It's hard to tell from these recordings. Yeah. The recording that, uh, did you listen to the version on re-listen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. Like there's a lot of like dramatic changes in levels and stuff like that throughout. Like it seems like it was maybe a little, a little bit ragged, um, to make, um, you definitely can hear the sound of the room in the tiny room that they're in. Um, you know, it sounds, uh, it sounds pretty awesome. There's a lot of like audience interaction in terms of like clapping and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, not like the greatest sounding tape ever. So that's, that's another interesting thing. I think this like crosses over into the dead and and other live bands, but the quality of the recordings have such a big part to play in like the nostalgia of a particular era, you know, like, we started getting great Europe sounding Europe tapes in 97, you know, and and I don't know how much of this was like the playing or, or the lack of kind of, um, huge improv, but you do start to see like much better quality Europe shows in 97 and 98. And like these, that might be part of the reason that this is forgotten a little bit. Yeah. And once again, I don't know, like if the fact that they were opening for Santana on a lot of shows impacts that or what it, what it is. Um, maybe it was just a matter of like learning from the 96 tour before they went to 97 from the tapers and, you know, how to, how to run in each room or, you know, working with the venue better. But, um, a lot of these 96 tapes sound a little, a little bit rough to me, but you're right. Those, those 97 tapes are awesome. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, the the 20 minutes of ACDC bag and foam, I thought was really well played and a really good way to start this this set, like you said, Matt. And that was, um, it was, it was an interesting set. The flow was was a little bit, um, like it was it was interesting. It felt like a, a few different segments to me. But set two was pretty pretty cool to like get into. Well, I think the, the 2001 was a few minutes, but the Runaway Gym really kind of gets going. And then I feel like this, the loving cup, like feels like it's like slow motion loving cup. Yeah. And another one where Trey just like disappears for, uh, there's like a half a verse where you can't hear him singing or playing guitar or anything. Like he's just not there. Yeah. It's sort of like, and it leads to this like sort of slow paced (laughs) loving cup, which is kind of interesting, but, but the, but it's actually like kind of an interesting jam in the loving cup. Maybe, maybe that's why I thought it was interesting because it just sounded so different than what I usually hear. Uh, yeah, I think it's like the page driven thing a little bit and, um, you know, not it, also placement in the set. Like they're usually closing with it or encoring with it where they want to like drive to a big ending. But if you're going to play it, you know, 20 minutes into a set uh, and second set, um, you're going to maybe let it breathe a little bit more, see where it goes, which was not really any place in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like, again, reminds it's like sort of foreshadowing some of this fall 96 stuff that you hear, which is a little more sparse and like, um, I don't know, but the, the Mike song, so this is 17 minutes of Mike song. So this is like kind of a perfect place to kind of dig into that idea of like the 96 jams, because that's a long jam, right? And it, it gets pretty dark and there's some cool passages in there. Um, but, but somehow like 17 minutes kind of goes by sort of fast and I'm like, wait, I need to listen to that again to hear like something. Um, but it's, it's long. It reminds me a little more of a 95 kind of gem. 
Yeah, the, um, the I think the Mike song is the highlight of the show. Um, long, drawn-out, eerie jam. It never, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I don't think it, I heard it go to the ending before it went into I Am Hydrogen. It just sort of like bypassed that and went into what people would probably refer to as a second jam. Um, and then straight into, just sort of eventually kind of like melted into, into I Am Hydrogen. Um, this was the one spot in the show where my ears kind of perked up a little bit and I found myself very interested in what they were what they were doing.
Yeah, without the closing sort of, and then into hydrogen, which is which is cool. Again, like in a small small venue, um, probably pretty nice. And I, I wonder how many people were like on tour from the U.S. at this point. I think it was like un, like a hand, like hundreds, a few hundreds. Yeah, maybe. I, mean, um, I, I don't really have been more than that, right? I, I don't know. I don't really have any context for that. Um, to be able to, to judge it. I mean, I don't either. I, I guess one way to look at it is like, let's say this was a, you know, it's a, it's their own show. It's, it's, let's say it's primarily us fish fans because you can tell that the audience is familiar with the music and interacting and stuff like that. Let's say it's not sold out. You know, maybe there's like 500 people there. So maybe that's like 400 that are yeah. like us fish fans and another hundred Germans that show up. So right. I don't know. Maybe that's one figure, like three or 400 fans that were like on tour. Yeah. That seems, that seems totally logical. And I think uh, anyone who's out there who was on this summer 96 Europe tour hit us up. I know a lot of people who are on the 97 tour and then, and then a lot of people who went on the 98 tours, but I don't, I don't think I, I mean, I think Tom probably went to some of these. Cause I remember a story from him about Italy and carrying some gear up a side street in a, a weird little Italian town, which I think maybe it was 96 anyway. Um, Cause I think it had to do with Santana. Do you remember that? Do you remember him telling me? I do. And I think, I think you're right. I think it was one of the, it was the Santana tour. It might even, that it might even have been 92. Oh, maybe. perhaps I don't know. I can't. I can't <laughs> remember. But I, but I remember. I remember hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so they, the, Wikipog, and then there's like, of course, the Fishman vacuum thing, with which, which, like, I just, I just can't. In any in any era, it's just like, I mean, I understand live, like, it's funny and fun, but like, oh god, it's like seven or twelve minutes or whatever. That I gotta can't get back. But but the slave closer. I thought I felt like a little bit of a uh, of inspiration there on the slave. Did you did you feel like they did you feel that? Because I, I felt like they really like kind of went for it there at the end, particularly Trey. Yeah, th- it was really good. Um, another kind of bright spot in the show. Uh, it could be also be like this bike segment was. I don't usually kind of dig Fishman segments. I I like his sense of humor and stuff, but it just sounds like his heart isn't really in it. Like it just kind of like going through the motions to do bike, but then like they regroup with slave and it is a very like great anthemic, uh, version of slave. Um, but then they put the cherry on top of with Rocky top, <laughs> Rocky top. Yeah. Rocky top encore. And it's interesting. So, so we were, we looked at this 96 summer and, and I, there's like a handful of shows that were, um, opening, you know, for, for Santana and then a handful of two set shows. I think this is the best of the bunch, um, in terms of the two set shows. And and I think there were like some, some moments in there, but Matt, what's your like takeaway from, from this in terms of like, from a band perspective, like, is it sort of just like, sometimes they'll go and play two months of shows and, and we won't pay much attention to them. And, and that like happens over and over throughout history, or does this feel like a different thing? I think that this reinforces that the most average mundane to us as super fans fish show is still better than what most bands can put together in a, in a live setting. We, <laughs> we get very, we get very jaded. We look, we've listened to so much. We've seen so many shows. We look for these remarkable things. Um, if you step back and you look at a show like this, if you're a fish fan, like if you were a German who had, heard fish from afar, um, got into them, lucky enough to see them in your backyard and you get this show, you were probably flipping out. 
at, at what, how amazing the band is. So it's not to take anything away from them. And once again, it's not a bad show. It's just unremarkable to us. Um, so I, to me, that it kind of reminded me of that, of like, I always talk to people, tell people like, you know, people talk about the 1.0 years and say like, oh my God, it was all so great and it was all so much better. But like, in actuality, like just as there are now, there's the Tuesday night in Grand Prairie, Texas. There was the Tuesday night in Hamburg where they just, you know, they, they played a fish show. Yeah. 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 And I think like still listening to these is really fun. Like you said, it's still like better than not listening to fish shows. So I, I feel like I have a lot of these tapes and I feel like I was collecting them at the time just to like, you know, amass as many fish tapes as I possibly could. Um, but there's, there's something that's interesting about this year to me. 96 in general is just sort of a lost year for fish, you know, which is weird given how fundamental obviously it is to to everything that came after yeah sure i mean um it's incredibly important right i mean clifford ball is the one of the most important things they ever did uh halloween 96 was one of the most important things they ever did so um you can't look past the year for that it was it was definitely a building year but it's surrounded on either side by you know probably their two best years yeah yeah yeah, that's why it's like always fascinating to me. And there's this little this little footnote, which is where Trey sort of dropped out of jams and and like <laughs> maybe laid the foundation for the more like band, you know, democratic sort of jamming or something. But um, I, I thought it was fun to go back to, and I, I hope we can we'll sprinkle in some music there throughout. So I'm sure you all have have heard at least some highlights. Like we, we've done the hard work for the audience, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. We, <laughs> we, we listen so you don't have to. <laughs> that's, uh, I hope that doesn't become our motto, um, <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool to go back to. And, um, Matt, you, one of the ideas that we came up with was to talk about that, that, uh, Amsterdam show from seven twelve, And I'm, I'm glad that we went with this one. I, yes, I think uh, it, as a listening experience, it's it's really good. I feel like we would have had more to discuss if we had talked about the other one, because <laughs> that's a very remarkable show, for, but for the wrong reasons. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to it. Uh, it's in Amsterdam in 1996, so you can imagine what was going on there yeah. and why, um, as opposed to the 97 Amsterdam shows, which were all amazing, this one is a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, yeah, seven seven twelve. Um, I mean, you don't often see like a, a note on a show that's like interactive as the band jammed on chords yelled out by the fans. I mean, to, <laughs> at what point do you have to get to in a show where it's like, all right, well, just just tell us chords. So anyway, we didn't do that, but we brought you guys some gems from seven twenty three and ninety six. So we hope you enjoy it. And uh, Matt, I guess we'll see everybody in a couple of weeks. Are we? Maybe we're going to get back to backtracking. We'll talk backtracking. We've got uh, probably get our buddy Drew Hits to do some more Drew's Corner for us. Um, you know, we're all sitting around generating content, so let's let's have some content. Let's do it. And and everyone listening, thank you for listening. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you uh, what you want to hear from us because we're open to suggestions. Um, we're going to be doing this, and we're going to be doing our Monday night uh, live chats ahead of the dinner and movie and they're, they're coming together i would say that our i would say that our video production is uh it's pretty top-notch it's good it's getting closer 
I mean, it's on the basically on the same level as Saturday Night Live at this point, so you <laughs> right. can't fault us. You can't fault us. Cool. Um, <laughs> all right, Matt, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you, hope you enjoyed this. Let us know. Keep us posted. Give us feedback. And uh, we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking to Summer 96. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music, because as you'll hear, Sometimes the story is the best song.